Our scripture today comes from the good news, the gospel according to St. John. We'll be looking at the Easter message and what Jesus has done um, through the gospel of John this morning, if you will share in God's good word with me. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. He is risen. He is risen, but the disciples are locked in the house, afraid. He is risen, he is with us, but the disciples are locked in the house, afraid. Early Easter morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw the stone had been rolled away. But all morning long, Into the afternoon and into the evening, the disciples were locked in the house, afraid. Until, until, until Jesus, those two words changed the world. Until Jesus, until Jesus stood with them, not just before them, but with them right where they are, right where you are. Until Jesus. They were in the house, afraid. And Jesus comes to them and blesses them and says, Peace be with you, and he breathes on them. And they saw firsthand the wound in his side and the marks in his hands. They saw the brutality of the crucifixion. And they began to know the reality of God's love for them and for the world. The power of God. The resurrected Messiah with them, standing with them. The grave is empty. Love has won. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. My name is Mark Foster, and I'm honored to be your pastor, the pastor of the people known as Acts 2 United Methodist Church. 
And while we too are in our houses, I pray that because of Jesus, we are no longer afraid. If you are, have the ability to go um, onto the, the platform and you can see the sermon notes, if you'd like to follow along, they'll be right there for you. And we're going to look at what Jesus has done for the world as recorded in the Gospel of John. And so today, as we begin, today we point to the cross and say, not even a blood-stained murder scene is beyond the love and power of God to turn evil to good. God can take anything, anything, and turn it for good. That's who God is. And we have to understand that Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, why he came to earth in the first place. And you see this recorded throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I believe that's you and me, by the way. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life in order to take it up again. Hear that, friends. Jesus is saying that he is choosing to lay down his life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, Jesus says. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. That's what Easter is all about. God's sacrifice for us by his own choice. I have received this command from my father, Jesus says. So friends, we have to get this right. It wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was love. Love held him there. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus is the victor. He knew what he was doing all along. Because without him, we were lost. We were dead. We had no hope. And so I want to share this morning with you the beginning of the end of Jesus' life. And I want you to see how he chose his path at every step. The scripture in John 11 says this, When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, and his hands and feet were bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what Jesus did, and they believed in him. They believed in him. They saw the power of God at work in the person of Jesus, and they believed in him. But what people didn't understand then, and we often miss even today, is that for Jesus to save Lazarus would mean the death of Jesus. When the people saw who Jesus was and what he could do, some rejoiced, but some were afraid. They're afraid that the very power of God would change their way of life, might change their standing in community might make things different for them and their families. And so John continues to tell the story. He says, but some of them went to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And this is where the fear sets in. And the Romans, the ruling authorities over the people at that time 
the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. They were afraid their entire nation would go away. And, and what I want you to see here is that even Caiaphas, even the high priest, is a part of God's good salvation plan. That God takes everything, even things we don't understand, even things that we might think are bad, and, and I'm not calling them good, but God can take those things, even a cross, and turn them and wring good out of them. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people, speaking of Jesus here, than to have the whole nation destroyed. He did not say this on his own. Hear what John's doing here. He, he's not blaming Caiaphas. He's saying that Caiaphas is simply a part of what God is doing, the great redemption plan of the world. So, so Caiaphas did not say this of his own, but being high priest that year, he was prophesying, friends. He was saying what was to come, that Jesus was about to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but to gather into one, the dispersed children of God. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. And so today, you and I are a part of that prophecy that followers of Christ all around the world, no longer dispersed, but gathered today to say, He is risen, He is risen indeed. What God has promised in the Messiah has come to pass. That Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords. And it was His choice to suffer and to die, to go through everything that He went through this past Holy Week for you and for me. And when he was at the Mount of Olives and he looked over the city of Jerusalem, he knew the prophetic words about a king coming in on a donkey. And so when Jesus made the choice to sit on that donkey, it was a death sentence. There's no other place in the entire scriptures that tell us that Jesus sat on a donkey. As far as we know, Jesus walked everywhere he went until this one moment. And so the scripture tells us, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus begins to explain his mission, which includes his death. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. God's own voice from the heavens. I love the way Andy Stanley, um, he just has a way of turning a phrase. He says, in the moment when God was most glorified, we would have been most horrified. When we look at the cross, when we look at love poured out for the world, God is glorified. Christ yelled out, it is finished. He had finished the very work that he came to do. But you and I, had we been there, we would have been horrified. 
It was the worst thing that could happen to a person. Scholars now believe that these crosses would have lined the Roman roads and would have been simply uh, where your face was right there seeing the dead person. And they would leave them on the crosses for the birds to eat and to, to scare people to death that you would never, ever want to cross Rome. It was humiliating. It was terrifying. But here's the good news. It was just the end of a glorious beginning. It was the end of the beginning. So the Easter message goes like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John, by the way. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Early in the morning, she was distraught. She was frantic. She needed to know what had happened to Jesus. She knew what he had done with Lazarus, but she didn't know what would happen to him. She had seen him die. I love the way Barbara Brown Taylor puts it. She says, new life starts in the dark. Whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. And Jesus, of course, had already prophesied about this. He had said unless uh, he became like a grain of wheat and was buried in the ground, he couldn't do what he came to do. And so those who were paying attention, maybe they had a glimmer of hope, but if they did, they didn't tell anybody about it. They were locked in a house. Miss Mary is frantic and afraid until Jesus calls her by name. And if you have ever heard Jesus call you by name, you know that it changes everything. When he calls you by name, you hear the love in his voice, the peace in his voice, the compassion in his voice. He meets you right where you are, even in the darkness, even in your anxiety, even in the not knowing. So Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Now, nobody believed Mary. She didn't have high standing among the disciples or in that culture. Yet, isn't it amazing that Mary is the first witness of our risen Lord? That Jesus would choose this crazy Mary with, with wild tales and a messed up life. And there she is, the first witness of our risen Lord. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. But if the disciples believed Mary, they were unmoved that day. We have no evidence that they listened to her whatsoever. It looks like they dismissed her. 
if she came to them. Now, remember, she comes before dawn. She comes at dark to the tomb, and she experiences the risen Jesus, and she goes and tells the disciples. And the next thing we have in the Gospel of John is that it was evening. If she told them that morning, they blew her away, just blew her off and didn't listen to her. If she came in the afternoon, they didn't pay any mind to her, because when it was evening, the Scripture says, the first day of the week, Sunday, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, it's easy to want to read over this. But if you look closely in the Gospel of John, you'll find that Jesus wasn't the only one that people were trying to kill. There was also a price on Lazarus's head because people were believing and being moved by his um, resuscitation by Jesus. Lazarus went on and died again. That's, that's the difference between Jesus and Lazarus. So not only was Jesus at risk, all the disciples were at risk. And every single one of them, our tradition says, was killed for their faith, other than John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos. So they had good reason to be afraid. And their life story would bear that out over time. And it's in that fear, in that anxiety, in that worry, and in that unbelief of the witness of Mary that Jesus comes. Jesus comes to them right where they are, right where you are. And he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. You see, what we learn from this is that when we are afraid, Jesus brings peace. And I see this over and over again. When families get very difficult news about their children... There's anxiety and, that, and there's fear and there's unknown. And then we pray together. We invite Jesus into the situation. And our folks tell me over and over again, I'll say, how are you doing? They say, well, I have peace now. Jesus brought me peace. I know he's with us. I know he's with my child. Or with my parent. Or with my brother. Or with my sister. Or with my good friend. There's peace. And this peace isn't an absence of problems. Dorothy Bernard writes, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. We can have fear and courage side by side. We just have to pray through our fear and allow God to come so that we stop praying, God, get me out of this, and pray, God, get into this. Get into this with me. Empower me to live my next day with you. And this is where we find the beginning of the church. We have two different accounts of how Jesus does not leave us orphaned or abandoned. He breathes on us. He gives us his spirit. He empowers us to live today. So in John 20, it says this. After Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me... So I send you. Now, you'll remember that just a moment ago, they didn't believe Mary. They were in the house, locked, afraid. There's nothing that says that's changed. And even in that doubt, even in that angst, even in that worry, Jesus is sending them out. They have little training other than the three years they've lived with him and know who he is. But Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And that's true for all of us. Right where we are, we cannot wait for a day where everything is perfect. 
with the sun shining and the wind at our back and, you know, our jobs are perfect and everything is great. No, Jesus says, right where you are, as the Father sent me, so I send you because I'm with you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He gave them his spirit. Ruach, the breath, the very same thing that brought dead red dust to life and called Adam in the beginning. God breathes on his disciples. Receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. And if you've not received the Holy Spirit, I invite you to do that today. To say, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit to me. That you may send me as the Father has sent you. Incredible words, incredible commission. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So you and I, we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. We never go alone. Now, friends... Our church name is Acts 2. It's named after the book of Acts chapter 2. But I want to just own that we find ourselves in a very weird time today. Uh, I'm preaching to a tiny little lens at a camera right here on Easter morning. It's weird. It's a little different. But God can use it. God can use you. God can use me. God can use a little camcorder from Best Buy. And we celebrate that. I didn't get any money for the plug, just saying. And we're grateful. And there are 50 days. There are 50 days between John 20 and the book of Acts chapter 2. 50 days. Do you know what 50 days is from now? May 31st. And the disciples were called to watch and to wait for the Holy Spirit to be empowered to change the world. But first... They had to wait for Pentecost, for the day that the Holy Spirit would come. And we wait. You and I will be doing some serious waiting between now and May 31st. But we don't wait alone. We wait in the same tradition that has overcome plague after plague and problem after problem, nation after nation and century after century. And I take comfort in that. When I was in theology school, I had a professor of Christianity, history of Christianity, named Klaus Penzel. One of the hardest professors I ever had. But I loved him, partly because I loved his story. I, I loved how he came um, to teach at our school. During World War II, when he was still a young boy, the Nazis came into his home and ripped him out of his home and threw a rifle in his hand and threw him in a foxhole. And they said, if you move out of this foxhole, you will be dead within two steps. We will shoot you on sight. And so he was in a foxhole with a rifle as a boy, afraid, starving, and afraid. And the ground began to shake, and the ground began to rumble as Patton's army rolled in in huge tanks. And as only Professor Penzel can say it, he said the first American words that he ever heard were, hands up! And they rescued him from that foxhole, and they fed him, and they blessed him. As he aged, uh, he was in his 20s, and there was a, a program between Germany and the United States to take the young minds of Germany and train them in the United States. And so... He came to the United States, and he fell in love with the American church. 
He did his doctoral work studying the American church, and he loved it so much he decided to stay and, and to teach because what he saw in America was so different than what he had learned uh, in Europe about our faith and how it came to be and, and the movement of the Spirit. And so before every assignment, he would teach a section and he would say, now you know the what? I want you to tell me the so what? Because if you couldn't incorporate the information that you knew to the life you were living, you were not going to pass that class. So I want you to know about Easter. You know the what. Now we have to answer the so what? And for me, friends, the so what is this. I need a God bigger than World War II. I need to serve a God and praise a God bigger than COVID-19, bigger than recession, bigger than the Black Plague, bigger than the Roman Empire, bigger than whatever comes our way. That is the God that we serve. You see, Easter is much more than a day. It's much more than this day. It's much more even than the great 50 days. Easter isn't a day, it's a way of life. We are Easter people. We live and move and have our being because of Easter, because of the hope that is in us. We rise up and hope in the morning of what God will do. We work through the day in the power of the resurrection and the hope that Christ is with us and with working with everything around us, that we can see and that that we cannot see. And before our heads hit the pillow at night, we live as Easter people in the hope and the life and the power of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. And that includes periods of waiting. Jesus walked the earth and appeared before more than 500 at one time in the 40 days after the resurrection. And then there were 10 days where he had ascended. And the disciples were instructed to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they did. And the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Turn your life towards God, Jesus is saying. So this Easter, friends, you and I, we can be like the first church, right where we are, right where you are. And I want you to see there's plenty to do right where you are, not locked in and afraid, but with glad and generous hearts. This is the sign that we keep in the room that we do about 90% of our time together as a family. Every time we gather, we gather in the same room. Uh, we, we have about 80% of our house largely unused. We seem to always be in the same place at the same time. And this we do under this sign. They broke bread in their homes. We'll do that today. And ate together. We do that every day. Now here's the thing. With, say it with me. Glad and generous hearts. That's what Easter people do. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So I want to invite you as your action steps today to simply live as Acts 2 people, Easter people, 
I want to invite you to break your bread at home. To eat with glad and generous hearts. Enjoy your Easter meal, whatever that may be, however you choose to do it. You can even still do it in your jammy pants if you need to. But do it with glad and generous hearts. And praise God. Praise God. And help others. Praise God and help others. That's what Easter people do. We thank God. We trust him with the results. And we do what he calls us to do. And we trust God will do what only God can do. And so Paul makes a clearing call to the early church. He says, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. That's true for us, friends. We're not all going to die in this season, but we will be changed, every one of us, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. The victory, friends, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, by steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. In the work of the Lord. That's what we do now. Because you know that it is in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. Friends, what you do now, what you do today, what you will do in these next few weeks, your labor is not in vain. Do what God is calling you to do, to eat your food in your homes with glad and generous hearts and praise God. And trust Jesus with today and tomorrow. Let us pray. Will you pray this prayer with me? Risen Jesus, no one saw it coming. But your march out of the tomb has changed everything. Death is conquered. Hope lives. Love wins. Salvation is here. To say thank you is not enough. But it is where we can start this Easter day. Give us profound delight as we enjoy your resurrection life. Give us deep devotion to follow your resurrection way of life. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.